0: Hi guys, Chris here. Hope you all enjoyed a good Mother's Day. And if you are lucky enough to still have your mother in your life, I hope you showed your appreciation by showering her with gifts, hugs, kisses, and whatever else she wants. A special thanks to our mums, our better halves, baby mums if you like, and our intro queen Bianca. We hope you all had a special day. Now between shows, we predominantly communicate with you guys through our Facebook page. And I've put up some mildly amusing clips of things that just tickle my fancies. If you like these things, don't be ashamed to give them a like or even share them. Every little bit helps us get our little podcast out there and think of how much joy you get out of us and how you depriving others of such joy is really just mean. Another way to communicate with us is to drop us an email with any thoughts you have on our show. air at gumshoesports.com is where you can reach us and we're always happy to get an email. They come straight through to me, so if you want a response, just let me know and I'm happy to flick you something back. Don't forget, we also have a Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash gumshoe. But if you've missed the details, don't worry, I'll put up a link through our Facebook page. This is a monthly donation deal, but I've set the lowest amount at just $1 per month, so there really is no reason for you not to show your love for us and the podcast. Okay, for those of you who hang on the Sunday night release of our pod, apologies for the late release this week, but I think you'll agree it was well worth the wait. I would easily say it ranks in our top seven shows of all time. We hope you agree. Enjoy!
1: Ladies and gentlemen, are you sick of hearing about sledging, flying under the radar, and just taking it one week at a time? Well, you've come to the right place. The Gumshoe Sports Report is here to cut through the rubbish and give you unfiltered hard facts. Failing that, you can listen to two blokes whose faces absolutely fit for radio, as they give you their own sizzling hot take on every good sport. And kick things off, here's your host, Marcus Wilson. Thank you, Bianca, and I hope you had a great day. Well, it's been another big week in sports, and we've got lots to talk about, so let's get things started. G'day, Chris. Hi, Marcus. Chris, it's a touchy subject, but let's kick off with AFL news and uh, plenty of talk about Players touching umpires. So Gold Coast co captain Stephen May has been referred straight to the tribunal for making intentional contact with umpire David Harris. Ed Kerno from Carlton, the same sort of scenario. What's your take on getting touchy and feely with the umpires?
0: Well, I think it's a long established rule that you don't touch the umpires and they they don't like it. I think there's a bit of difference between what happened with Curno and last week when we saw Tom Hawkins. Mm. They seem to be uh, I'll say remonstrating with the umpire at the time. Nothing untoward at all, but uh, if you see Hawkins' hand sort of he slaps the umpire's hand away, who's sticking his hand out. He's not trying to touch him, but it's just mm. his hands out and he slaps it away. Ed Kernell is kind of just arm barring sort of the umpire out of the way, but not with any great force. Stephen May, on the other hand, was actually trying to demonstrate what happened in a certain situation, but The talk last week with the Tom Hawkins thing is that the AFL wanted him to get a two-week suspension. The Cats wanted a fine and with all the talk that he came out showing how remorseful he was and stuff like that. So they kind of agreed to split the difference and and make it one if he pled guilty. I think with that situation in mind, I think Ed Curnow has to get a week. But I think Stephen May will get a week anyway, but he probably... I think he's his lesser down the um, grades of um, badness, if that's such a word. Um, that I, I think he deserves a fine, but I think they'll they'll slap him all the week and just go, "Don't touch the umpires."
1: Mm. It actually brings back memories from Port Adelaide's first year when Gavin Wanganeen, in a pre-season match, sort of almost grabbed the umpire around the throat. He he said he was. Showing, oh, this is what happened. But wow. I think he only got the one match for that. So a big difference from 20 years ago. But uh, yeah, you just got to keep your hands off them. Do you think uh, players are actually not aware that it's the umpire they're doing to? Obviously, May did. But um, Hawkins the week before, he said, well, I just sort of brushed the arm aside. I wasn't really aware of who I was doing to. There's no other player Mm.
0: there. Like, if the hand suddenly appeared from behind him then you go, all right, cool, you don't know whose hand that is. But it was the umpire who was standing directly in front of him (laughs) with his hand out. So if he thought that was another player's hands, maybe a little trip down to Specsavers might be in order for Tommy Boy.
1: Yeah, what's your opinion on other sports and how umpires are treated? I I believe NRL is very respectful of umpires They're pretty much sacrosanct or no? No,
0: no. Uh, rugby union. Rugby union, Rugby union is very much so. It's... The ref is still called Sir, mm-hmm. and that's how you address them. Um, rugby League is its a bit like AFL. They're pretty much open slather. Okay. What happens in the NRL, and this happened, I think, last week, um, one of the coaches absolutely ripped one of the refs after the game, and he ended up getting a $25,000 fine and basically accused them of cheating and said that this: there was no way we were going to win tonight with this going on. So... Um, yeah, I think they're sort of similar. Like, AFL seems to have matured a bit. That happened a few years, probably 10, 15 years ago, where they would single out an umpire and go, that was horrible. Now, I think they've all learnt just to make a generalised statement that sort of is fairly non-specific and, and say that they're not happy with it and we'll get clarification. That seems to be the buzz the buzz catch cry for the, for the coaches is I'll seek clarification on that during the mm. week, which just means... You've made us uh, the stinker, um, but you look at soccer. The soccer, they're all in the refs' face as yeah. soon as something happens. NBL,
1: we've talked about that. Conversations happening during the game—that's amazing, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and, and I don't like, I don't like the fact that the umpires are in AFL are allowed to be hands-on with the players. I think if you have that, I think you, it needs to be a two-way street. Mm, is there's exactly. no there's no touching between anyone. So, I think. If that's if that's the rule they want to have, it's got to go both ways.
1: Now, you've been pretty good at predicting things with this podcast, Chris. We have, we have to take a punt a little bit with these episodes. We record one night hoping that it's still current over the next couple of days. You've been pretty good. So you reckon a match for all of these guys? I think there's no way they can avoid it. Okay, let's move on to another suspension that occurred last week. And I'm torn about this one. It was the match between Port Adelaide and West Coast where... Nick Nat Nui, crunching tackle on Carl Amon. Amon suffered concussion, not at the higher level, but still very groggy throughout the week, and and Nick Nat got a week. The tackle, aggressive, full-on, loved it. But do players now have to really become technicians in how they tackle? Because a lot of them are fantastic at any pace at grabbing the bloke and rolling. Nick Nat doesn't seem to have that talent yet, but I applaud him for that aggression and just... That's what we love about footy, just yeah, he's tackled, destroying someone.
0: If he gets a chance, he lines them up and mm. he's, he goes in... If you ever watch him, he actually goes in low and then raises his body height to basically lift the opposition player off the ground and then he goes off the ground and then just drives him into the ground himself. So... We've seen it during the highlights this week of a couple of times he's done it already this season, but it hasn't quite had the same impact of the guy landing on his head where he's been tackled. But I'm staggered that he got a week for that. Like, I think, if anything, Amon doesn't help himself by the way he kind of stops and props. And then it's almost like he tries to stick his backside out with his body weight forward. And at 80 kilos you're not stopping a 110-kilo bulldozer as he's coming through. So, like, I, I think that the fact that he got driven into the ground was not equally as much his fault, but I think, like, he's partially to blame. But And then you look at something like the Jarman um Luke Parker incident mm. from this week, where they've then come out and said, no, I, Impey was as much at fault for putting his head down as Luke, Luke Parker had no sort of viable alternative in a way of getting to the ball. So I honestly have absolutely no idea what what Michael Christian is thinking with this stuff. Like, You look at um, uh, the guy from Hawthorne who poleaxed Higgins, uh, Bert, Burton, Burton. Um, he has an opportunity to tackle someone, doesn't, Lays the guy out instantaneously, and they go, Oh, it's not foreseeable that he could have done that. Well, if you choose to shirt front someone when they clearly can't see you coming, there's a massive chance that you're going to do this dude some head damage because his head is going to rattle. I don't. uh, Yes, the actual contact between sort of shoulder and, and head wasn't foreseeable, but the fact that you've chosen to bump him, why would you bump him? Because you're trying to physically damage him. So uh, just he gets off and a guy who lays a legitimate tackle mm. that, yes, push in the back, fine, free kick, but lays a legitimate tackle, I, I'm sort of agreeing with what I heard um, Jared Waitley say this week, is I don't know what he was actually reported for. He The incident that or the action that he did is not a reportable offence. He just yeah. tackled him. So if they're going on the outcome which seems to be what they go by, you can do a sling tackle, and as long as the person doesn't get laid out, you're fine. If they get concussed, look out, you're going to have the book thrown at you. They're they're penalising the outcome and not the action. If they want to get rid of this stuff, say that action is not allowed, and if you do it, regardless of what happens, you're going to get rubbed out. But... Yeah, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I did, I didn't necessarily disagree with the point system and how they had it sort of structured last year. I know there's like, ish, like, it wasn't perfect by any stretch, but I think they've gone backwards this year. And mm. I, I mean, I thought Michael Christian was a peanut when he commentated, <laughs> but I think he's like just some of the stuff he comes up with and said that that was the easiest decision he made all week. I'm like, well, you're not watching the games. I reckon, I, I can only assume that he's getting a two-minute highlights package from each game saying these are the incidents we think might be up for grabs. Because if he's watching, every game would have at least one or two sling tackles in it that are lightweight, sort of not nothing happens to him, so it's play on. There's no consistency. I've got no idea what he's thinking.
1: It's another example of the AFL trying to be all things to all people. We've got... uh, The league really strict on trying to protect the head and trying to do this and that. And yet you hear from the players, interviewed during the week, from all clubs, saying we're all prepared to have these blows happen in a regular field of play. It's not a malicious act or anything. They go, well, occasionally we're going to bump our head because we're going full bore. And they all seem pretty accepting that that wasn't a
0: reportable incident. That was just... Part of footy. Yeah, get rid of the sling tackle. Fine. Cool. Mm. But get rid of the sling tackle. Don't get rid of the sling tackle that results in someone getting concussed. Yeah. You need yep. to get rid of the action. And the bump is fine, but if you shirt front someone and they're concussed before they hit the ground, that should not be okay. Mm. Not when you've got a chance to tackle them. The bump is fine in certain situations, but I just think if you've got a chance to tackle and you choose to bump, that then becomes your... That's your way of um, you lose that unforeseeable circumstance. That is a foreseeable circumstance, and particularly with the Burton, where he runs five metres. Now, admittedly, he didn't. He could have absolutely like ironed him out, killed him, just about if he'd run through him. He seemed to basically run at him and then stop and pull up. But it's tackle him. Mm. You, you had you had two seconds to think about it. This was like point eight in the Nick, Natsu, in mm. Nick Nat case and they, they expected him to go, well, I'm 110 kilos, he's 80 kilos, and uh, this isn't going to work out. Talking about that
1: bumping incident, at the start of the season, it seemed like, okay, they've, they've set the benchmark, they've set the, uh, set the parameters. For example, the Robbie Gray one, they said he had an option to tackle rather than bump, and that made sense. But then you have those incidents, the Burton incident, you go he had a chance to tackle.
0: And the dude was completely ironed out. Mm. Like the Robbie Gray one, yeah, like he the guy went down, but mm. Higgins was like out yeah. cold. Like I would have thought that was the easiest decision that Michael Christian would have to make in his entire life and didn't even go up.
1: A little part of me at the start of the season, or I guess it was late last year, when they said we're going to have one guy, and he's going to oversee all. I thought, I get it. They think you'll get more consistency because you've got the one mindset, but he's made it murkier.
0: Oh, Definitely murkier. Oh, definitely. Well, I, yeah, like I said, I think he's paying up, but what
1: do I know? Anyway, Nick Nat, he'll be back Yes, next weekend. Hey, late last week, the Fremantle Dockers held a media conference. They said, we'll have one with the coach and CEO, and they gave about three or four hours notice. Generally, that's warning sign written all over, and there was a feeling that perhaps Ross Lyon was perhaps getting the sack. But he lives on. He's stronger than ever with the Dockers. But a feeling of double standards, do you think, in the AFL?
0: Uh, I, I went right. He's another chance for me to tune into a press conference, and within 15 minutes, all the stuff came out saying they're not sacking him. He's... He's loved, and um, and I went, I'm not even going to watch that press conference because I don't want to hear it. It's so Ross Lyon a couple of years ago, I think, was
1: at a Christmas function, a work function, said some inappropriate comments to a junior staffer. Sounds like they've had a financial agreement, hush money, if we can call it that. No one really wants to use that word. Yeah, but a financial money was agreement, exchanged hands. money was exchanged hands, but the young. Female staff had left the club, I believe,
0: and it was put aside. This the second incident is the one that's probably caused a bit of grief, and that is that just it almost reeks of the pow pepper situation. Someone's come to the club and gone. I'm not going to press charges, but this happened a couple of years ago. Admittedly, the pow pepper one was like the weekend that it happened, Mm. but this one was. I think around the same time there's there's literally no details come out about this second one but they're just it's come out that someone's made a complaint and Frio have just shut this thing down like ridiculously um but it sounds like it was about the same time and I'm not sure if he hit someone threatened to hit someone that was sort of the connotation there um the inference that I got was that there was an altercation of some sort with a with a gentleman at a pub somewhere. Um, and if Frio have... if I, I said a couple of weeks ago that I thought Port handled the Power Pepper thing about as well as they possibly could. The how not to do it is the <laughs> Frio. They have shut everything down. It just lets the press and people like us talk about this endlessly. Mm. And then when the AFL inevitably will come out and say no, we've done a full investigation and there's nothing to see here move along, Mm. that everyone just goes, well, really, what? And so I, I had my suspicions at the Power Pepper thing that the Port got what they wanted out of it, the AFL got what they wanted out of it, they were seen to be doing something. Port got the wording change from sexual assault to indecent contact. And this looks like it's going down the same path. They've gone, oh, well... Because initially, Frio said it was a work cover situation. And then once the journo started contacting work cover and found out that there wasn't actually any work cover situation, all of a sudden, that changed. And the work cover thing just got dropped. They've shut that thing down altogether and just said, oh, it's a situation between two people It was filled out on a work cover form, but never actually (laughs) sent a work cover. Thanks, Jill
1: Clinton. Oh,
0: just horrific, horrific. So uh, I just think it's going to go down the same path. This second um, investigation, if they do one, it sounds like they're not going to do one, um, is going to be the same thing, which then makes you wonder, what is the AFL actually investigating, and are you getting a proper investigation out of this. I understand that the police um, don't necessarily want to get involved in these situations and that's perfectly fine, but you can't have someone who's got a vested interest in the outcome running an investigation because that's that's ridiculous. Um, you need to get someone impartial to come in and the AFL will say, no, we're impartial, we're, we're not involved in any way, but you... If the club comes out of this looking bad, you look bad. Mm. So where is your integrity in actually finding out the truth? If it's ugly, does that come out? We only need to look at Essendon Saga to go, you're probably not actually looking to get a the truth come out. You want the rosiest picture you can possibly get to come out. So, I honestly, I don't trust the AFL as far as I can throw them with stuff like this. Get... You concentrate on running the sport. If you want to start getting these external- Which I think they do a good job. I, I, I agree. Mm. Like the, the sport itself is flourishing. It's, it's going great guns. But when you start getting into legal matters and things of this nature, either get someone external or get the police in and go, we're not touching this. Because you should not be investigating this at all.
1: You almost need like the state government in SA has the independent commissioner against corruption who works independently and brings forward these issues uh, for for obviously different things, but they probably need a, a separate body that's kind of connected that says, hey, I'm investigating this, I'll come back to you with the details. And it feels a lot more accountable and transparent to have a separate body looking at it. And whatever they say has a whole lot more credence.
0: Yeah, well, look at it from like any of you listening out there. Would you want your boss, well, sorry, you probably would. but. Would you think it was appropriate for your boss to investigate something that happened to you over the course of a weekend? I would say no if you were trying, if you wanted an impartial opinion on what happened. Mm. You're not going to your boss to get that, and that's theoretically what's happening here. So um, I, it it staggers me that this just gets accepted by everyone. There should be pitch. We should be out on the streets with pitchforks and torches, just. <laughs> going on ramp. We should be losing. We should be going LA-style breaking windows. Chris, I don't want to make you any more angry. But Are there
1: any okay. any games from the, the weekend's footy? Any thrilling finishes you want to
0: talk about? There is one game I would <laughs> like to talk about. The Suns' oh. reserves team did not kick a goal for the entire game. They only kicked four points. Oh,
1: that's disappointing.
0: Uh, no, I did put on... Um, uh, for those of you who weren't aware, I run our... Facebook page and I did put on there last night after the showdown, what a game. Our house is a mixed relations house. We've got my good self who's Crows, my lovely wife is is Port and did you watch the game in the same room? (laughs) She came home at uh, sort of halfway through the second quarter and so I'm sort of up up and about at this stage. She's doing whatever she's doing, pottering about, comes and sits down sort of halfway through the third quarter when the when Robbie Gray time starts to take over. About just before three-quarter time, I told her to get out of the room because she's obviously the bad luck charm for me, so she can go watch it in another room. But no, she, she sat there and watched it. Two and a half minutes to go, I'm like... I start reaching for the phone, and I'm like looking at anything that's not football. Kick a goal. I'm like... We could be a sneaky little chance here. <laughs> then kicked another one, and I'm like, oh, it is on here. So Eddie Betts, then
1: Taylor Walker from outside 50. And then, then Mitch McGovern. Mitch McGovern.
0: The C's party takes a strong mark. And I'm fist pumping, and I'm <laughs> like, oh, yeah. It's got a bit loud in our house. And then I'm like, right, all you need to do, just put everyone back. and And then when Greenwood gets the get, like, roves the ball. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Don't kick it. All you need to do is just get tackled, roll over, bounce, do it all again eight times in a row. This game's over. Kicks it. When we have no one in the <laughs> forward line, <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? Ball gets, like, hacked forward mm. like a... 30. I reckon it was an ankle kick. <laughs> Possibly not even ankle. He may have kicked it with his calf. That's mm. how bad the kick was. And then... Yeah, Richard, Richard, Douglas Richard Douglas and McGovern, who was just the hero, yeah, uh, decided just to ten pin bowling <laughs> yes. skittle time. Yeah, um, and McGovern looked like he he was dead. He got flattened, and in steps Motlop comes in, and I'm like, "This is your chance to blow, <laughs> to blow it," and I'm gonna laugh, and he kicks it, and I cried. And then there was some more pumping in our house, but it was mainly done by the other side. Yeah. Well, I won't twist
1: the knife because that is a very painful way to lose a match. But it's amazing how these two teams just slug it out time after time. On most occasions, this is the scenario. The Crows will blow put out of the park and the power just don't seem to be able to rally and fight. Or it's very tight like it was and, and the Crows
0: just didn't give up. So I think sort of in the... Um Early 2000s, there are a couple of sort of 30, 40-point port wins which have um, brought the average back. So I think the average... For those of you who don't know, it's, there's 44 showdowns. It's 22 all. I saw a stat this morning that said the average margin is like seven points. So the Crows have had a they had one final where it was a lot. 70-odd. Yeah, cool. and then last year, the last... 84, I think. was 84 points. So we've had a couple of big ones, but... I think there are a few sort of in the middle when you guys got in a roll and won sort of four or five in a row and got that few in front that there was a couple of like thirty point wins. But on the whole, if there's more than two goals in it, it's it's a blowout for uh, for a showdown. They're they're good games. It was interesting to see what I would describe as the port magpies of old, start a bit of a biff before the game even starts. <laughs> get their mind off it and i'm like don't fall for this it's been done for 30 years Mm. what happens kick a goal in the first like minute and i'm like they've fallen for it it's but no power pepper look he was uh he was a man on a on a mission a mission to to destroy Mm. um so he looked a bit a bit shady in the first half he didn't necessarily do too much but he locked matty crash down in that third quarter in particular and um the Biff, I think, is half time or three quarter
1: time. It was three quarter three quarter time because Porter obviously, chest yeah, that, out. Oh, that's right. Yes, yep. they
0: were they were on the on the go. Now that's ended up with a couple that's of right. dollar figures there. Um, so having a look, Power Pepper's been done twice. So you've got a thousand dollar fine for wrestling with Matt Crouch, and a fifteen hundred dollar fine for misconduct on Crouch. I'm not sure what misconduct is. But um, Crouch copped a $1,500 fine for wrestling with Power Pepper. So, um, once again, Power Pepper has been done for indecent touching. The one good thing, <laughs> the one good
1: thing about this new AFL tribunal system is they're bringing things forward, fast-tracking it, because it would have been very messy if uh, this was all up in the air when Port went to the Gold C- uh, to China, yep. which is only in a day or two's time.
0: Yeah. So. Th- just for those of you who don't know, that's why Stephen May is has been referred to the tribunal, and Ed Kurnow hasn't yet. They basically they looked at the the games involving Port and Gold Coast today, and got these things out the way so that there was um, maximum chance for the teams to prepare. Because I believe both teams leave Tuesday um, for China, so they sort of need to get there themselves organized and, and have the, So I'll, I don't know whether there's the tribunal's actually going to sit sort of maybe in the afternoon rather than the usual sort of night time where they bring it sort of forward a bit, but um, I, I don't know. But yeah, the the other one that was interesting with the Suns, this relates to Port, is um Sam Day is able to accept a one-game suspension for striking Melbourne's Neville Jetta. If anyone who saw this in the goal square, and they did the, um, the where they sort of run around, they almost do figure eights around each other to sort of create a blocking situation, mm-hmm. and Neville is just basically about to run past Sam Day. Sam Day has just gone whack, shoved a fist, and punched him right in the gentleman's area. Oh. And Jetta went down like like any of us would go down if you were punched in the groin. Um once I stopped laughing, I thought, well, that's, that's not appropriate at all. Mm. But um, it's, I don't know, anyone getting hit in the pills is always funny for me.
1: Well, Chris, speaking of people that are just getting, or well, players getting smashed, ice hockey playoffs, the NHL, tell us where we're at at the moment.
0: We are now at the conference championship stage. So the Western Conference is has got Winnipeg, um, who had a, Good series win over Nashville. Actually won three games on the road, which is um, hard to do in Nashville. that's like a fortress, that place. And the Las Vegas Golden Knights, who we spoke of uh, last week, um, Vegas were... Even though Winnipeg finished the season with a, uh, with a better um, record, Vegas are... They're for- affirmed as favourites f- by everyone, basically, to win mm-hmm. the whole thing. So... They actually went down uh, yesterday morning. Winnipeg got over the top. So uh, that's an interesting result. Um, I'm not going to big note myself too much. I did call her. I think Winnipeg uh, have got too much hustle. Vegas are quick, but um, Winnipeg are just, they're tenacious at the puck all the time. Moving over to the Eastern Conference, though, we've got Tampa Bay Lightning against the almightiest of chokers in Washington. (laughs) Now, Washington have finally, after about 400 years of playing off in um, finals of all descriptions, have gotten over Pittsburgh. Um, They found ways year after year of losing (laughs) these guys. They finally knocked them off, and they've actually taken a 1-0 lead over Tampa Bay. I think they are a red-hot chance, and that is good for an Australian who's actually on the... um, Washington team, and uh, Dylan Walker, and he's the only Australian ever to play in the NHL. Not actually getting a game. He's in the squad, but they cut sort of seven to eight people for every game, and he missed out on the um the first of the conference finals. So, Is
1: not getting much publicity back home?
0: To be honest, I didn't even know that he was playing for them until someone pointed it out to me today, and I did a bit of research, and there's... Photos everywhere of him talking to Malcolm Turnbull and ah. all sorts of stuff. Never even heard of him. Yeah, well, there um, you go. So, spent a bit of time with the Oilers, um, but has since moved to uh, Washington, I think, two years ago, perhaps. Um, but, no, not getting a real lot of uh, rink time at the moment. So, this is basically the winner of these two semi semi-final. This is basically a semifinal. So, the winner of these two play each other in the Stanley Cup. Uh, final. So, I don't... I think this, from what I heard, I think this is as far as any four of these teams have actually got. No one's ever made a Stanley Cup final. So, this is uncharted territory for, for most of the players. Um, so, and your man, um, Mark Fleury, mm. absolutely killed it against San Jose. Not he's, just a good bloke. No. Um, a performer. He's actually their uh, goal stopper, and he was... Um, He was phenomenal. He's probably the main reason they got through. So, well done on your uh, well (laughs) on your research. Oh my
1: googling, it's good. So I'm seeing. uh, So you're seeing Winnipeg. Well, if if we talk about this next weekend, where are we at?
0: Putting my Nostradamus um, cap on. Cap on. (laughs) I would suggest that we're looking at a Winnipeg, Washington final. Mm -hmm. But. I'm ruling out Tampa Bay. I'm willing to just stick my boot into them and kick them out. I'm not willing to ride off the Vegas Knights yet. Their speed is still a concern. Speed versus hustle by and, Chris Parker. Well, and Vegas score... When they score one goal, they'll score two or three goals okay. really quickly. Um, and they've they've done that all season. They've just... Once they break the damn walls, ping, 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 it's, it's three pretty quick. But... Um, no, I Winnipeg with their hustle on the road as well. Um, I, I don't see Vegas nights, but I can see that going to seven games. So, um,
1: will, we, will we have the dis, dis, um grand final sides picked
0: by then uh, by next this time
1: next week? Not quite. Not quite. No. And,
0: like unless there's a sweep or something like that, mm. um, it might be touch and go if there's a sweep. But um, now nah, these all their American sports, their playoffs go for longer than their season. It's ridiculous, and they play three days apart, and it's. Um, but I've said it before. I'll say it again. If anyone's home this week, do and you've got Fox. Do yourself a favour. Flick it on. I think it's normally on five o three. Um, the NHL is. It's good to watch. It can like they're twenty minute thirds. They play. It's the most unusual game in that they don't play quarters or halves. It's thirds, um, and they have like a twenty minute break between each each period, but um, the action on the ice is... is I
1: in for a bit uh, during the week. Do the commentators use a certain amount of lingo that I was missing or is it just I was losing it because there's a lot of atmosphere sound as well? But I
0: was like, I don't know what they're talking about. Uh, no, I didn't think so.
1: Okay. I'll, I'll revisit it
0: this All week. Right. Take a day off. If anyone from AA is listening, Marcus is feeling a bit under the weather. Yes. <laughs> it's
1: starting to set Maybe I watched early. a replay because it was that night I was watching. Yeah, it would mm. be definitely a be a replay. replay yep. so, um, that was all right, though.
0: Yeah. But no, just um, if you're feeling a bit under the weather, let me know, and um, <laughs> I can bring some hot soup over. And- Thank you.
1: Thank you. Hey, Chris, uh, let's stick with playoff talk. The NBA, where are we
0: at with that one? All right. The NBA is now – they're basically – they've caught up to the NHL. We were sort of talking a week ago, that, or a couple of weeks ago, that they were sort of one round behind, but a couple of uh, pretty convincing results have seen um, – Cleveland who I'd written off um, mm. a couple of weeks ago they've they've just come back from from nowhere and they got the best run that they could possibly get by getting Toronto who are could knock the skin off a custard the way um, their their mental fragility is better than Washington's <laughs> in the in the NHL so Toronto finished the top seed had the best record in the east come up against Cleveland lost in a sweep. Unbelievable. So what's happened since then is Toronto, it's widely believed that their coach is going to win coach of the year. Doesn't even get to see next season because he's been fired for them losing to Cleveland for the second year in a row. Once again, for the first half of this series, it was basically Toronto versus LeBron. But the last couple of games, they started to sort of get some teammates actually extracting the digit and uh, started helping out. Because a few weeks ago, you were
1: saying it's LeBron James or or nothing at all.
0: It's LeBron getting 40 or nothing, or they lose.
1: But the Um, rest of the team have come to the party now. Well, to an extent. Mm. They all
0: chip in with sort of a 15 or something. Mm. But I think the first... Well, the Cleveland-Indiana game uh, series, that went to seven. And so I think the first 10 games they played in the playoffs, no one scored more than 20 points except LeBron. Mm. So he's basically been a one-man wrecking crew. Um, But no, um, Kevin Love and J.R. Smith sort of piped in with uh, his novelty 1-in-20 game um, firing up. So I'd expect to not see him for too much more of the finals. But um, no, they've now got Boston, who had a hard-fought series against... um, uh, Ben Simmons and the uh, Philadelphia 76ers, but um, Ben Simmons had a couple of really quiet, poor games, and all the love that was getting shown to him uh, got thrown out pretty quickly when... He had one game where he scored one point, so he didn't even score a field goal, so he got canned pretty mercilessly about that. Um, And Boston, who hats off to them, they've lost two of their biggest playmakers and are still finding ways to get it done. Um, so that leaves uh, Aaron Baines as the only Australian left in the in the entire NBA finals it's disappointing
1: for Ben but on reflection what a season to,
0: to do what he's done to
1: achieve what he has and to be even talked about with the best rookies in the NBA is just crazy
0: and he can't shoot like hmm. if he could shoot the sky's the limit for him so um, I think it was Shaq said this week he actually thought he shoots with the wrong hand ah. um, so he does do a lot of left hand right hand it it almost looks like a shot put like it's a push like a sky hooked sort of thing but he just he pushes it it's a bent elbow and because he's so tall he can just jump over the top of dudes and just um a lot lot of these shots are sort of bank shots you can't
1: do too much about it now though can you in terms of changing your game or
0: oh no i I think you can learn to shoot a bit better Mm. um but i not change hands Oh, I mean, realistically, these guys can probably shoot with both, yeah. with both hands, okay. Mm. Um, but you wouldn't want to shot to save your life on your on your wrong hand. Mm. Whereas the two of us would look like you no, know, we. I, I was always the uh, underarms. Oh, grandma style. <laughs> yeah. Just joking. Excellent. <laughs> All right, so on the western—that was on the east. So on the western side of things. Houston and Utah had a really good uh, series and Joe Ingles started getting some serious press time and mm. um, had a couple of really good games where he was like mid-20 points and uh, at one stage held the record for the most number of uncontested threes and it would just seem like they would just guard everyone else and leave the guy with the dad bod <laughs> in the corner and he would just <laughs> he was nailing threes from uh. everywhere um, but once they shut him down um, things sort of starting to tighten up a bit for Utah and, and Houston in the end got through probably fairly comfortably and then on the comfort level you've got comfortable and then you've got Golden State comfortable. So they had the uh, the luxury of bringing in Steph Curry, one of the best shooters in the second game and they they had one blip on the radar in New Orleans where they I think they went down by like 25 points but they they beat them pretty comfortably um, 4-1. So, um, Cleveland-Boston starts Monday morning Australian time at some ungodly hour, like 4.30 or something like that. And then Golden State-Houston is Tuesday morning. I think whoever wins out of Houston-Golden State will win the whole thing. Um, I think they're, they're both miles in front of the other two teams and have um, the ability to to do multiple things. Um, Cleveland, if you can shut LeBron down, which is a big if at the moment, he's probably playing better than he's, almost as good as he's ever played. Um, you shut him down, you shut that whole team down. They're, they're nothing. And Boston, without their two main playmakers, they're finding ways to do it, but they're, a, you'd describe them at the moment as a champion team rather than a team of champions. They've got no all-stars really left in their team. They're, They've got battlers um, grinding out wins at the moment. So once you're knocked out from one
1: side, do you have a, a feeling of loyalty or allegiance to the team that's progressing on your um, conference? Or? S-
0: sometimes. It depends on whether your team's got a like a rivalry with them. Mm. So like the Lakers and the Clippers aren't going to start barracking for each other anytime soon, the two LA teams. Um, but, I mean, I have a look and... and you look at who Golden State in their little corner of the bracket. They've got Portland, New Orleans, and San Antonio. I uh, I don't know. I can't see any of them not going for Golden State to be honest. Maybe mm. not San Antonio. They're sort of the last five years they've been um, probably their main contender. But um, this year they they lost their best player sort of midway through the season, and the talk is now that he may actually leave the team. So. Um, they have been uh, the the best team at keeping their talent within. They don't lose players very often. They trade them away, but they don't lose them to big dollar values elsewhere. And this may be the first... Kawhi Leonard may be one of the first people in this sort of um, group to to leave. Um, the talk is that he's not particularly happy at the moment. So, And he when he got injured, he started using non-club doctors and it all went a bit weird that sort of the first the first little warning sign that maybe things weren't all rosy there Mm. but um coach Popovich has got a way of, of luring these guys back in and um for all the um the donuts that he gives journalists and like just no answers grunting one word answers he's a excellent man manager and the players that play under him all love him so um, I wouldn't be surprised if he stayed but yeah all the hot hot talk is that he is LA bound which basically means where does LeBron go at the end of this season but we'll leave that for another time we've still got finals to go so we'll we'll concentrate on that but there are trade gossipy uh, things going on all the time in the NBA so stay tuned we'll keep keep you informed of those. Chris's golf section next. Chris, the
1: Players' Championship, getting to the the uh, exciting stuff. Yes, we
0: are on full choke watch at the moment. <laughs> we got Webb Simpson, who is so close um, to having an unbeatable lead. He's seven shots up on the field, which in what's considered the, the fifth major is just unheard of, and particularly for... A, um, a person that a lot of people um, probably wouldn't have ever heard of before. Mm. So um, just a quick rundown. We've got Danny Lee from New Zealand. He's uh, in second sh- uh, place at the moment. And then another further two shots back is Dusty Johnson, the world number one, which is good for him because he needs to sort of hang on to... He needs a good result to hang on to the world number one ranking. Um, we've got Aussies Jason Day. He's tied for fourth. Um, we've got... Uh, Ian Poulter, Jordan Spieth, Tiger Woods. Um, they're all tied for ninth at the moment. And then um, we've got Adam Scott tied for 16th. He is 12 shots off the pace. Um, and also at seven under is Mark Leishman, one of my favorite players. Um, he's also at seven under. So um, Patrick who won the uh, Masters this year. Another further stroke back. He's at six under. Justin Thomas, man, potentially pushing for the world number one ranking. Um, had a shaky first round, but he's bounced back. He's at five under at the moment. But if you look at the um, websites and all the media surrounding this, this is a two-man tournament. This is Webb Simpson and Tiger Woods. Tiger shot a 65 in the third round and you would think this guy was in contention um it's all tiger toward drives me absolutely bananas with, with Webb Simpson what is
1: the mentality of a player that far in front do they play I guess they don't have to take the chances on those iffy holes they can just play really conservatively or do you have to attack continue to attack if he if he goes through uh, a par round he,
0: he should be Safe, surely. I, I would think so. Um, I, I don't think he needs to. I think there's times where you can take chances and times where you cannot. So you look at the 17th, the island green that brings everyone undone. Don't aim for the pin there. You aim for the middle of the green. Mm. Even if you're three-putt, who cares? It's not the end of the world. What you don't want to do is try and hit to the pin that's like four foot away from water and lob it basically centimetre perfect because that's mm. when... Um, your ball gets wet. So, no, I would think that he would be taking a fairly minimal uh, risk approach to to his final round. But he's had rounds of 66, 63, and 68, so he's not exactly um, struggling with the course at the moment. So he's got to keep doing what he's doing. Mm. But guys like this that don't necessarily get a lot of um, success... Who knows? But the only thing that I'd say would be in his um, favour is that he's got Danny Lee with him this week. So, um, and Danny Lee's he's not had the best season so far. He's he's not he, he's had the occasional good round, but as far as results go, he's, he's not been flash at all. So, um, yeah, looking back, like if you take Dustin Johnson, you would go right. Well, he's probably the closest. He's nine shots off the pace. So. It, even if you could shoot a 74 and still win this by five shots, mm. these guys need to shoot the lights out to even give themselves a chance. And the they don't generally make these tournaments low-scoring tournaments. Mm. So um, he's actually tied, uh, Webb Simpson's tied Greg Norman's 54-hole scoring record for the players. So um, I read a couple of um, comments from the golfers sort of saying that if you take Webb Simpson out of it, the competition is where you would imagine that it would be It's that twelve to sort of eight under range where there's a lot of golfers and they're all in with a chance and they would all be in with a chance mm. if there wasn't a guy who was absolutely killing it at the front so um but uh, yeah it's it's all tiger if you if you have a look at the um at the media, which to be fair, started actually before the tournament even started. Um, with his old sparring partner, Phil Mickelson. I didn't realise, but Phil Mickelson is quite the trash talker. Um, (laughs) And this has come out in light of um, um, a press conference on Tuesday saying that basically Tiger and Mickelson were were grouped together for the first two rounds. And um, he said, I don't know if he wants a piece of me. Saying that he didn't think he thought that Tiger may not want to play against someone as good as him, Uh-oh. and um, and that they, there was some talk about like he had sort of said in another comment that I don't know why we play the first three rounds of these tournaments. Why don't you just make it me versus Tiger in the last round? And <laughs> and it was sort of said tongue in tongue in cheek sort of thing. Um, but there was also talk that there was going to be a head to head competition just the two of them where the winner takes all, and then that's sort of what he was referring to with the, I don't know that he wants a piece of me, which, yeah, it's, it's a bit of tongue-in-cheek, but um, when, unfortunately, his press conference was first, then they went to Tiger's press conference, and, of course, one of the journos goes and, and says what he said, and um, I'll just, I'll read what <laughs> Wood said. He goes, well... First of all, big picture, and just sort of starts nodding. And then um reporter followed up saying, oh, Woods is actually only one up against Mickelson when they play head-to-head okay. in a tournament. Um, and then Woods had s- sort of started to respond, and then the, the reporter sort of sprouted off the stats. He's hit back with, how many times have we both, no, 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 how many times have we both won on tour? And that's basically, drop the mic, the stats are seventy nine forty three. Um So he sort of said it, I'm not going to cop that from you, but it was almost smiling assassin sort of style stuff. Both of them said these this trash talk with a big smile on their face, but you knew even though they're not both at the top of their games, they've still got that... um That desire to beat each other, and then Tiger went on to sort of say, "That's how Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer used to used to compete. Whenever they played in a tournament, that always know where the other one was on the leaderboard, and they just their first goal was to beat them. (laughs) Second was to win the tournament. So um, that's good. I mean, it was Tuesday. Like the tournament didn't start till Thursday, so that sort of got got a bit of interest in the in the tournament.
1: When you look at a, a golf tournament, you look at the players. They're all very neatly dressed." It's a non-contact sport. It's a lot of shaking of hands, not too many sneering or anything like that. So this gives it a bit of spice, doesn't it, to have some a little bit of ego coming out in the game.
0: Well, apparently one of the, um, one of the things that Mickelson um, does is he'll actually he'll call a reporter out in the, in the middle of a practice round. So he'll bomb this like 350-metre drive mm. down the fairway and he'll get to his bowl and then he'll go and see a reporter over on the ropes and go, come over here you know, if you could hit this as far as this, you wouldn't be on that side of the ropes. <laughs> Just like random trash talk like that. Uh. You wonder how he's got any friends. But also with Mickelson, did you happen to see, you were talking about dressing immaculate. Did you see what he was wearing? No. He did this when the Masters in one of the warm-up rounds and it got a bit of attention, but this time he wore, I could only describe it as a business shirt. It was long sleeve, it's buttoned up at the front all the way down and looked like a business shirt that he was wearing. Looked ridiculous. Um, and I, I think that was one of the another one of the jibes that Woods got in a couple of days later was something about his shirt. But it has come out since that Mickelson's sort of fighting off a cold at the moment and okay. it may have been sort of partly to do with that. But the fact that he brought it out for the Masters as well, I'm genuinely fearful that this may become part of his... Uh, fashion repertoire on the golf course. And if I have to start giving up polo shirts on the golf course, I've got no reason to go out and play golf anymore. I can see this in
1: 12 months' time. You will be wearing one because it's
0: in the stores. No, no, not a chance. Are you you sure? I can... I barely get out of a polo shirt for anything. (laughs) Um, So, no, I think uh, the business shirts are for business people. Golf shirts, i.e. polo shirts, for golfers and me. Okay.
1: No, no, sorry, I was supposed to jump in there. You're a golfer too. (sighs) Bad, but yes. Yes, I am. (laughs) Hey, Dusty Johnson, what's all this mean for him? Is there a
0: a bit more on the line for him? Well, he's he's been world number one for 15 months now, which kind of crept up on me a bit. I didn't realise it had been that long, but he basically needs to finish 11th or better to stay number one. If he finishes lower than that, it doesn't matter where Justin Thomas finishes based on the way the rankings work. Justin Thomas will become the the world number one but um, he sort of said he wants to keep it who wouldn't but um, sometimes there's a lot of these sports people sort of go no nah, it's about the well, I get the individual results and the the world rankings will, will take care of themselves but no he, he was quite open and um, I said no I want, I want to keep it he's had four title wins since he's uh, picked up the world number one ranking so I mean it's not there, are, His competition has kind of fallen off a bit, like the Spieths and Days. That the three of them were really jammed on top of each other for a while there. Um, but it's kind of dropped away a bit. And um, Justin Thomas, he had that good run earlier in the year and then had his wisdom teeth out. I'm not sure if they were connected to his golf swing or not, but um, he's not done much since uh, since coming back from Put that. Put him back in. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I mean, like I said, he's third, at the, tied for third at the moment. So barring a... Um, a bit of a meltdown tomorrow, I would imagine that uh, he's going to keep his world number one ranking, but uh, 15 months, that's a long time to not have anyone knock you off. So well done, Dusty. Keep hitting those 400 metre bomb drives. (laughs) Chris, let's head to the racetrack and, some dominant form in the V8s. Yeah, Scott McLaughlin, he's been killing it at the moment. He's uh, won the last four races, and uh, the last two in Perth were... One of them he started on pole, which uh, he's been... That's Those first three of those four were... I think he got poles in all three of them and, and went on to win from there. But in the um, the fourth one, he actually started in 19th place. He was well back down the grid and uh, made a bit of a blue in qualifying. The way their sort of qualifying works um, on some of the shorter tracks like Perth and Tasmania is they sort of split it up into, into different... Like they rank you after your practice and then the top certain amount go into this qualifying and, and you sort of need to take a bit of a gamble that you're going to finish in this top one. And at Perth, tyres are a real issue. And he took a gamble and he ended up missing the, the next round of qualifying by one place. So he ended up bombing basically straight out and had to start from near the back of the grid. Picked up a couple of spots on the first lap. Big bingle in front of him. Picked up like another five or so. And all of a sudden he's up into 12th. Then someone else has a stack and there's a safety car comes out. He managed to get in front of his teammate. So as soon as the safety car comes out, everyone ducks in the pits because it's quicker to do a pit stop while everyone else is going slowly around the track. So basically everyone bar one person came in for a pit stop, and he managed to get in front of his teammate. So his teammate basically had to sit there and wait for him to get out of the pits before he could get in. So And there were a couple of his main opponents that had to basically, they call them double stacking. They had to sit there and double stack while he was in his pits and getting out. So I think he came out in like fifth place. So within three laps, he was up in the fifth and then just... Um, he's quite good on his tyres and Perth is a tyre-shredding uh, track. So he's managed to to drive well and then once the other t- the other guy's tyres start to drop away, he just keeps maintaining his pace and, and picking them off one at a time. The
1: superficial look at racing, it's it you say it's all about driving. How much has
0: it to do with the timing of your pit stops and, and getting that right? Oh, it, Everyone sort of looks at the things and you go, oh, they just picked up a tenth of a second on that lap. Mm. And, and then you look at it and you go, you've got a 10-second, say, a 10-second pit stop. If you can get that in 9.5, that's the equivalent of doing five heaps better laps than the person in front of you. So um, I know the teams put a lot of emphasis on their pit stops. Um, some tracks have like an undercut value where if you go into the pits first you can then go out on your fresh tyres and do a lap really quick, and then by the time that other person's done their slower lap, when they come in and then do their quick lap, Mm. you've already shot in front of them. You've gained more in that first lap. Sometimes there's an undercut, whereas if you... uh, Sorry, an overcut, where if the tyres take a long while to warm up, you can actually be better off just staying out there and being the last one to come in. Um, So... Yeah, there's there's all sorts of different um, ways of doing it, and even the number of pit stops you take. Um, you, if you can get away with one less pit stop, you might be in a better position. But if you can go quicker and your tyres don't drop off, so that by the time you get... Say you do a 20-lap stint. If you get to the last five laps and you're dropping two or three seconds a lap slower than you were doing at the start, you might actually be better off doing... 15 lap stints and doing an extra pit Mm. stop Um, so these guys have got remarkable like computer programs and things like that that show you where as soon as you take off from a pit where everyone else on the track will be and so they try and get you out in gaps and and things like that because you don't want to you don't want to come out of the pits, gun it and then have to basically pull up at a corner while everyone else goes zooming past so um, yeah I mean that's probably a bit more in F1 which we'll talk about in a sec but um, there's still a, a fair bit and especially in the V8 V8 is so tight like you you can get the top 15 that are all within like a half a second in qualifying time so they they're really close on top of each other mm. so Well um, it sounds like you made some decisive moves that paid off. Yeah they yeah. they um everything everything that could possibly have gone right for them went right um and he was the most stunned person you've you've seen afterwards just going well I said to Dick Johnson that we could win, but everyone always says that. But in your heart of hearts, you know that you're not really a chance and that a um, podium was the best you could do. But even um, Craig Lance, Craig Lance started 25th on the grid, and he managed to get up into third. Um, And uh, Dave Reynolds, who was second, threw the car into the dirt on the last, literally the last corner of the race when there was no one around him and almost cost himself second spot. So uh, Lance could have even jumped up into second if uh, things had gone a bit better for him. But um, now nah, Scotty McLaughlin he's, he's now got I think a three hundred and fifty odd point lead in the in the championship. So he's sort of um, he's killing it at the moment. So well,
1: the chequered flag's almost waving on this podcast episode. But F one, yeah, run us well, through that.
0: Yeah. The um, race uh, in Barcelona mm. hasn't happened yet, so uh, sort of can't give you too much on actual race details. But as far as qualifying's gone, uh, Red Bull's not too far off Daniel Ricciardo. But I mean, he ended up qualifying six, but it's it's probably the closest qualifying I've seen for a while. It was uh, Hamilton, Bottas were one and two. Boring, as predictable everyone would say, but. There wasn't a real lot between those two. I think it's four thousandth of a second between the two of them. Then you had the two uh, Ferraris of Vettel and Raikkonen who were only sort of a couple of hundredths behind and then um, Max Verstappen and Daniel Ricciardo were right on top of each other and they were another couple of hundredths again. So there's not a real lot in it at the uh, the top. So in the um, practice sessions, the Red Bull was showing a lot faster race speed in their race simulation stuff. So... Uh, yeah, six doesn't sound great, and it's going to be a bit hard to sort of get past people, especially Max after the two had their run-in in uh, Baku a couple of weeks ago. But if he can clear Max, Ricardo's a chance to do something in this race. It's just getting past Max crashing first and whether he can <laughs> get away from, from him. Um, but oh, even Max is, is a chance to, to get on the podium. Just away from the track, did I hear um, talk about copyright issues with the shoe-y, Daniel uh, Ricciardo. f f1 have now copyrighted the shui mm. so you're not actually even allowed to call it that anymore so um david reynolds was one of the first people to do it in the v8s and he's now decided that he's going to call it the booty <laughs> um so uh, to get around it but uh yeah i don't even think daniel Ricciardo's allowed to call it the shui i think f1 have got a Like a trademark or a copyright, or I don't know, something. Uh,
1: What's the world coming to, Chris? Taking the fun out of it. Mm. Well, that's another episode, another week past. Plenty of predictions made by Chris Parker. Normally, he's right on the money. So tune in, have a listen, and we'll all see next week how he's gone. You can all point and laugh then.